0: Welcome to C-Suite Radio. This Friday, your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your team, Riley.
1: It's anger. Let me out of
0: fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust.
1: Ew, ew. Sadness is in the house. Oh no. Hello. I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions.
0: Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2.
1: There's a part
0: two? We're going! Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters Friday. Get tickets now.
1: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome into a special edition of the Open Mic Podcast. It's your host, Brett Allen. And on the podcast today, again, as I mentioned, this is a special bonus episode. Not a typical pop culture interview, but... A very important one. A few weeks ago, I sat down with Dr. Ian Jenkins. He is a author, he is a father, and he has a book that was recently released called Three Dads and a Baby, and it tells the story of the first polyamorous family to secure three parents listed on a birth certificate. Ian Jenkins, he's a doctor. He lives in San Diego. He's a hospitalist and a medicine doctor and a professor at a major university. He's been with his partner, Alan, for 17 years, And they have been with their partner, Jeremy, for about eight. They have two biological children, Piper, who is three, and Parker, who is 14 months. Piper and Parker are half-siblings who each needed two women to give them life. Now, this is a lot to unpack, but I think it's an important episode for us to listen to. Again, this is much different than what you're used to, but I feel like it's an important message for us to understand. Dr. Jenkins and I cover a lot of different topics. We talk about co-parenting triple parenting, polyamorous parenting, whatever you want to call it. We just cover it all from one end of the spectrum to the other. And it was a fun and surprisingly interesting interview. I think you're going to enjoy it. Please let us know what you think. OpenMikeGuest at gmail.com. And today, again, welcome Dr. Ian Jenkins. Well, this is going to be a fun and educational conversation for myself and for our listeners But one that I have been looking forward to having for a very long time, we are talking to Ian Jenkins again. We mentioned this in the intro. Is it Dr. Jenkins or Ian? What is the preferred title? Okay, just don't call me late for dinner, right? That's what my mom always used to say. (laughs) Well, this is going to be a good conversation and a different one than what we normally talk about on the podcast. But I think this is an important conversation to have. Education is key, I think, in any topic And subject matter. And so let's just jump right in. You are a doctor, correct? If I understand.
0: Yeah, that's right. I'm a hospitalist, which means I take care of adult patients with medical problems who needed to be hospitalized.
1: And you are a dad, which is the most important part. I'm a single dad. And so you are a dad as well. So we have that in common, but it is not what we would consider or what most people might recognize as a traditional family. And I think that term even I don't necessarily agree with because what does that really mean? I mean, what does traditional family look like? And I've watched several of your interviews and a lot of the conversations that you have. And it's very fascinating to me. I think I mentioned that, but also kind of makes me a little bit jealous about your situation that you have. Now, you are in a polyamorous relationship. Is that the correct term to use? So that means it's you and two other folks that are in the relationship. So you have two children, three dads. God, it makes me, I'm like, why can't that be the same way? But I think it's good and it works out. And again, like I said, I've watched some of your previous conversations. So we'll just start right up. When it comes to this type of relationship in parenting, I guess the big overarching theme is how do you make it all work? Like, how does a day in the life of Ian and two other individuals and two kids all work? It has to be really good because you have a lot of frontline workers to get the day done. (laughs) Yeah,
0: I mean, I got to turn that around and ask you how you make it work.
1: Well, I, I have a mom I
0: with two helpers.
1: I, well, I have a mom that is involved. Clearly, I'm divorced. Most of my listeners know that. And she's married. So she has a relationship, but her and I get along really well. In fact, at one point when they were living down in Monterey, I would go down there and stay on their property. They had a landlord unit. So we are all very involved with each other's lives. I like to joke and call us the X-Men, <laughs> but we all get along very well. I communicate with him and, you know, we, we make it work. So to answer your question directly, I mean, it could, it, when I say single dad, it doesn't carry the connotation I think that most people might be used to, like trying to work, raise a kid, he's six. And so if that makes any sense, so we get it done. And fortunately, we all get along really well to make it work.
0: Yeah, no, I I know that, I mean, it certainly is doable. I think that the single parents out there are our heroes and it's great to have that healthy relationship with an ex. Um, So, I mean, for us, we have the three of the dads. Uh, In non-COVID times, especially, our work seems to rotate a little bit. Like I frequently work seven days in a row, seven days off. And my partners work different four-day work weeks. And so, you know, usually there's someone available who's the dad um, in the home uh, any day of the week. And then there's also, we have a nanny uh, who additionally helps for, uh, depending on our schedules, there's always some days where we have to have some help. Uh, and one of our kids is in preschool. So we have tons of help, takes a village and we're benefiting from the village. I think for us is like, people wanna know like, how do you possibly keep it all straight? You know, And the answer is, um, it's just like every other relationship you just need to do a little bit more communication to make sure you're all on the same page and everyone's needs get met and everyone feels heard
1: yeah and i think you know you have the benefits of a relationship just like anybody else and so i imagine the biggest question that your kids probably ask the the one that's you know post verbal who can talk i think you mentioned one of them is just learning to talk so but they're very cognitive of what's going on Regardless, at a very early stage, like again, not to make this about myself, but you mentioned my son understands that mom and I were married, but we didn't fit together like a puzzle, and the puzzle pieces didn't fit. But we still worked together as a team. So I think that makes sense. But I would imagine probably the biggest question that your children who do understand it and ask are is probably not the common questions that most people might assume, right? They probably want to know, well, why doesn't everybody have three dads or whatever like that. I'm assuming that's kind of the typical conversations that she might have if she even asks at all. Would that, that be a correct assumption?
0: Uh, she hasn't really been like wondering so much why the other families don't have three dads. Kids are really good at sort of taking in what they see and understanding that, you know, love and mutual care is what matters. And so, it sort of goes back to that situation where someone says like, oh, I just saw two guys kiss and how am I supposed to explain that to my kid? Yeah,
1: that's the dumbest and, thing anybody can say. <laughs> and the
0: answer is, well, they love each other and they're married. That's the end of the, you know, just like everybody else. And kids understand that easily. It's just the adults that have trouble. And so um, we just told our kid what, what the story was. We said, listen, you've got three dads and um, you have our, you know, egg donor, mama Megan gave us your, her eggs so that we could have you. And she loves you very much and visits too. And then um, kids each have a different surrogate. And we say that that person helped make you and uh, kind of kept you warm for the nine months while you were growing and then gave birth to you and uh, gave us, uh, you know, a tremendous gift by, by helping make you. And, that, you know, three and a half year old, there's no problem understanding that actually.
1: No. Um,
0: we'll, we'll continue to give her more information as we go along so that she kind of understands the difference between a biologic dad and a non-biologic dad. But it'll be really clear that, you know, parents are parents, they don't have to be biologic. Um, it's love that makes a family. Kids of an adoptive family or kids, the parents of the parents, you know, you don't have to be genetically related to, to love someone.
1: I love that, Ian. That's such a beautiful statement. And I think that could even be the title of our topic and conversation because at the end of the day, and I've done a lot of research on this, just again, coming from a purely educational point of view, correct? You guys it's a normal relationship. You know, this isn't an episode of Shameless on Showtime or Late Night HBO Max or I think you said in one interview Tiger King jokingly, yeah. you guys are all middle-aged adult males and you all have jobs and the biggest concerns and I just love how you put it. That's why I'm repeating it, but please correct me if I misstep. At the end of the day, you're just trying to teach your kids how to live life, how to learn, you know, and decide what's going to be for dinner. So you have all the other trimmings of a regular marriage or, or, or partnership, which I love.
0: Yeah, it's a really ordinary family situation and people come over for dinner. Um, you know, you go to a house and a couple has two kids and everything's normal. And you go to another house and a couple has three kids. Nobody goes, oh, my God, how does that work? And <laughs>
1: unless, unless it's triplets. And then I might ask.
0: <laughs> that's, that's a fair point. But, you know, if you come over to us and there's two people making dinner versus three people making dinner in our home, it's not, um, you know, it's, like, immediately obvious that we're just regular people. No one's a cyborg. No one's on Tiger King. Like, it's just just three regular guys. But I'll actually, I'll walk back one thing. I'm sure Jeremy would not appreciate being called middle-aged. So I'll just say he's a, we'll
1: call him a young adult. Young adult. Yeah. Okay. I get that. That's a fair point. (laughs) We'll walk that back. We can even edit it out as I, I'm just just kidding, but I know I'm 46 and I'm due to turn 47. And my son, he's like, dad, you're old. And he says it like, just as a matter of fact, I got a late start in life. I didn't have kids until after 40 and I've been married one time, but We make it work. And I don't know. I may or may not get married again. I may just have a regular type of relationship somewhere down the line. I don't know. I haven't really decided if that makes any sense. I just want to work hard and be the best father for my kid. That was funny. We'll walk that back. Young adult men who live life. So another question would be as far as like, we have this picture of traditional roles, right? Mom does this, dad does this. And That's just kind of what we're used to as simple middle Americans where we just go, okay, this is what we think or what we've been taught from a very young age, writing in about how the family structure is supposed to work. So my question would be, how do you decide between the three of you what parental responsibilities each person has as far as discipline and teaching and just regular everyday life instruction that comes along with having children?
0: Well, we, we really rotate those things. So, you know, it depends, whoever is off is gonna have parenting that day. We take turns preparing food for Piper to take to preschool. Uh, we rotate who's doing the bath or taking the kids out to the hot tub. Um, there are a couple things that, you know, we each might gravitate to. So my thing for the family is uh, I'm teaching Piper to read and that's kind of my area. Um, but, you know, we, we, we pretty much uh, help each other out with everything. And it's really important to do that, too, because, you know, we don't want someone to be like, this is the tender parent and this is the disciplinarian. That's not right. going the kid up for success. Um, so we try to make sure we're all on the same page about what's allowed, what's not allowed. So, like, if you push your brother, you're going to take a time out. There's not even a warning anymore. We've discussed it. And everyone's going to respond the same way. That way, the hyper doesn't know. Uh, or, or knows not to like test our limits or try to play us off each other it's it's really important for kids to have that consistency it's really stressful if they don't have it uh, and it leads to more you know conflicts and behavioral problems which they don't enjoy either so um and, and of course it makes our lives a lot simpler just to be consistent and have a very clear rule about what we do in the family which is to ask for things politely to treat each other with love and respect there's no hitting from anyone towards anyone Um, We don't we don't spank Piper. Period. Um, She's not allowed to hit or you know be angry or those other things either. Um, And and then we just normalize feelings. You're sad. It's okay. Let's go cry somewhere. Let me give you a hug. And um, we you know Piper doesn't have any trouble showing her feelings. I want to make sure that my son grows up the same way. Yes. He's not caught to like internalize things and suffer in silence. And and you know he knows it's okay that men have feelings too. And you need to engage them and and them to have successful relationships and be a healthy person.
1: Yeah, I think that's important, Ian, as well, to teach young boys that it's okay. I agree with you, emotion and feelings, and that's okay. But also, one of the things that we've done is we also want to instill in our son that we solve problems, we don't throw fits, right? We think about things and try our best to make choices. And his mom and I are on the same page, almost on everything other than at his house, he has older brothers who are teenagers, stepbrothers who are younger. And so the parental structure over there is a lot different. So when he comes to my house here where you see me talking to you, it's just him and I. And so there's not as much competition, if that makes any sense to try and get something. If you know what I'm saying, like for sure, the communication, it's just he and I yeah, being available So the kids know that everybody's on the same page. There's not one dad that overrules the other dad who might let one get away with something versus another like in a traditional marriage, right? Where it's a man and a woman or two men or whatever, and one might be less dominant. So you guys really try to raise your children to be respectful and do all those things. So my question would be, and we'll talk about your book, by the way, which is fantastic. I've read through it twice. It's just so oh, fascinating wow. to me. Yes, it's like the typical, and I'm just sidebarring here for a minute, but like the typical persona or picture that we get of this type of family. And I, I, I don't even know the right adjectives to use this, this just normal family. It's like three men and a baby, something that Hollywood, you know, sensationalizes and things like that, where it's kind of funny and jokey. But your book goes into a lot of detail about how you make this work, the adoption process. So, when you decided, the three of you, that you wanted to have children, how did you figure out do we want a girl? Do we want a boy? Do we want twins? Like, how was that process for you as? Parents who were potential adopters of kids?
0: Yeah. So we actually, um, we adopted embryos to start off, which okay. worked out. Um, and then these kids are uh, biologic children of uh, our egg donor and of my two partners. So one is Jeremy's biological kid, the other one is uh, Alan's biologic kid. And um, so we had to make a ton of decisions. When people have a traditional straight relationship, they want to have kids, they just stop using birth control or never start. <laughs> And or just you know go for get, it, right? and
1: you never know what's going to happen. I can testify to that. <laughs> you know what you
0: get, and you don't make a fuss. You could have twins. You could have triplets. There's no decision. You get a boy. You get a girl. Um, and the timing is the timing. So unless you're doing IVF because you had trouble, for us, we had to pick an egg donor. We had to pick a surrogate. You have to decide you're you know going to trust this person with one of the most important parts of your life. They have to trust you um and you do get these embryos that are created and then the doctor says do you want me to insert this boy or this girl embryo so that that's a decision process that was a bit of a surprise to us and what we realized in the end is that we didn't want to overthink things Uh, a lot of decisions ended up being made for us and so we decided you know that we wanted to have a girl first we're like girls are going to develop faster they're a little bit more nurturing and responsible on average there's exceptions to every rule but you know that's that's what we've heard from everyone we know that has a boy and a girl
1: And And it's true. I don't have a girl, but I've seen my six year old not to interrupt, interact with girls at the park who are his same age, and they are far more mature. It's just a fact of nature. Like it's, I don't know, I don't get it. They get there faster. (laughs)
0: Um, And so we thought that would be a better older sibling. And we had one really healthy female embryo. And so we implanted that. And that's why we have an older girl and a younger boy. And, uh, yeah, to your point, um, my daughter, like, organizes her flashcards that she uses for sign language learning, whereas uh, my boy took the tray table off his, uh, what we call his eat seat, his booster seat, and throws it across the room and has, uh, has chewed his way partly through the crib. So, we're hoping that's not leaded paint or something. <laughs> we got a good crib, but I got to tell you, like, yeah, there's a difference between boys and girls. So, on my limited sample size, I know, but.
1: <laughs> that's funny. Yeah. My son, when he was four, this is why I love talking to other dads. Like we can just connect, especially with toddlers. He chewed through a leather couch when he was like four at a babysitter's, just chewed through it. I don't know if he was teething and we wound up having to help pay for this babysitter's new couch. Oh my God. Some of the stories, but he's so mature now. He's reading and I just love watching him develop. He's a really good reader. Almost two much for his own good, because now he can read text messages and figure all that out and kind of see what's going on. And when mom or dad are texting and whatever, whatever. So you have this sounds like you have this all kind of figured out really well. Everybody shares the responsibility. Everybody helps nurture and raise the children. You had the girl, you had the boy. Did you go through a traditional adoption process? I can imagine it had to be slightly different because Normally, it's two people or one who are going to adopt someone, but you adopted embryos first and then kind of took it from there. Did you all three have to go to the courts together? How did you sort of get through that legal process of being able to have a judge go, this is something that we can do? Because I don't imagine that it's, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that it's horribly common for Three parents, or maybe it is. I could see the look on your face.
0: <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's, there's, a, I got a lot of information on this. So I'll try to break it down a little bit. So, first thing is, you can adopt kids. Uh, embryos are donated because they're not people yet. Okay. They're like a ball of cells. And so we we um, receive those embryo donations. And there is, uh, you know, you have to have a legal contract to do that. So we, you know, have an agreement. Everybody knows, um, you know, what's involved. So the biological parents are giving up their rights to those embryos, um, they're right. not having any role in raising them. That's a big de- uh, decision for them to make. And it, it was a big deal for us too. We felt really honored that these friends of Jeremy were willing to let us raise their biologic children.
1: Yeah, that's And trusted huge.
0: us with that. Um, and then, you know, we, we didn't actually adopt any kids. What we did is we had kids by surrogacy. And so the normal process for that, you have most of the time a married couple, used to always be a man and a woman. And now uh, more often it's um, same sex couples as well. And you would, um, have, uh, you know, a child by surrogacy. So there's a legal contract. And then it says, obviously the surrogate is not going to be a parent, but that person is, um, just, you know, gestating the child and is going to give it over at the end. And that all has to be legally solid before you start because no IVF doctor wants to sort of create a family court nightmare situation. They like to have all their ducks in a row. Yes. So we had that contract that we would be the three, uh, parents of this child, And then typically you just go to court. The the parents don't even have to attend or the intended parents, I guess I should say at that time, the judge would just say, hey, I got the exorcist contract. The lawyer's here representing that this is true. Uh, I'm going to create a birth certificate that recognizes the intended parents as the legal parents of the child and the surrogate is not um, legally related to the kid. In our case, that had never been done before anywhere in the world that we know of. Uh, if it was done, it's possible, but it was certainly wasn't reported. And so it's not discoverable and nobody knows about it. So we had no precedent for that. And our judge was very reluctant to create precedent because she's a lower court judge. It's not her job to sort of create new laws and situations. That's something right. for higher courts. And so she said basically to us, like, listen, there's no precedent for doing this. Um, you can have multi parent kids in California, but the kids have to be in a situation where not having the extra parents is harming them. And she couldn't find that for us because kids didn't exist yet. They were still, you know, our, our daughter was a fetus, so she's not a legal person. So she couldn't use that law to help us out. So she said, you got to go to a higher court. you got to come back and show me the kid has suffered from not having the three parents. And we had to convince her during our court hearing to create this precedent for us.
1: Wow. And here you are, three happy parents, happy dads. It's fantastic. Well, I want to mention the book because I think this is a key for people to just learn and to read about a really beautiful story, three dads and a baby. And essentially the book, the overarching theme is that it offers insight into your connection with you and your two partners and how you can pursue this vision of fatherhood together, which I think is the most important thing to recognize because it's all about love and being the best dads that you can be. And really talking about your kids and your perspectives on relationships and how to raise a family together with three individual people and three separate personalities. Because I imagine, you know, they say some couples opposite the track or whatever that traditional saying is. But I imagine you have three men, three individual personalities, three different perspectives on things. and. When people read this book, what is your hope or your desire that people will take away from it when they sit down and read it, which I think they absolutely should? And we'll link it to our show notes And when this episode goes live.
0: Thanks. Uh, I think the biggest thing that we wanted people to see was just that love makes a family and for you know, people to maybe get over what sounds like an exotic situation. When they get to know us in the book, you can see that we really just want to take the best possible care of the kids and have given that all the thought and consideration that we could really do everything with their interests at heart um, and make sure that they have the best possible upbringing um, in a supportive environment. They learn, they grow, they can, um, you know, relate well with others, take care of people, communicate, uh, pursue any careers they want. We're really just focused on their futures and their health. Um, just like all, you know, thoughtful parents are, that's really not that different. That's probably the biggest lesson of the book. And then there's all the other like legal things for people that are in non-traditional relationships, um, for them to know that they might be able to get legal protections as well, because those legal protections, it's not like we just wanted to say like, Hey, you know, we got gay marriage instead of a gay civil union. And it's really just, the name is the only thing that's different. There were really important legal reasons why we wanted to, um, to become parents and, uh, it was to protect the children.
1: Yes. And I think that's something else important to note in this topic and this chat is that, you know, your reasons are for what they should be. And most people are when they want to be parents or have that desire. And whether you have a child biologically by adoption, I'm adopted, you know, I don't have contact with my adopted parents. I've tried, that's a whole nother conversation, but I think When people set out to do this, that's really the biggest goal is to just be the best that you can be, protect the children, raise them in a healthy and happy home, and just sit back and watch what the byproduct will be of your work one day when they're older and are just living their normal lives. So, a question that I got from a listener, and I think this is, you probably get asked this all the time, but like, How does it work as far as date night, spending time together? I want to watch this. I want to watch that typical typical marriage problems that everybody
0: has. Well, I'll tell you what's the stereotype, right? It's movie night and the man wants to go watch the latest Avengers or
1: go have steak, whatever.
0: The woman wants to watch the rom-com, right? So, I mean, that's a stereotype and you should watch whatever movies you want to watch. But, um, you know, there were times where there's, you know, interest somebody has that don't completely overlap with their partner. And i like to say like, nobody is, is everything to any one person.
1: No. And it's a mistake if they are, or you think that they are. Yes.
0: Yeah. If you found that like one in a billion, that's like a complete fit and you share every interest and you never want to be apart for 10 seconds, like bless you. That's awesome. Yeah. You know, but for most of us, that's not the, the case. We have interests that we don't completely share, and so um, you know, looking at that programming question, um, Alan had no interest in Game of Thrones. I watched that all with Jeremy and a, a number of other friends, and Alan and Jeremy love watching RuPaul's Drag Race and some other shows that are not really my cup of tea. Like I'll come out and watch kind of the endings and the voting parts, and you know, <laughs> sometimes laugh at some of the stuff that happens. But it's not the way I want to watch. You know, like for an hour, hour and a half of that. So um, we're just sort of good because we complement each other in different ways and there's always someone that you can share something with um, because there's another person around there's more help and it's certainly possible for um, you know two of us to go out even let's let's say there's no sitter it's a pandemic but two people want to go out and just have a a walk and be alone you know the other one stays home and watches the kids Um, there's always that kind of level of support and I just I think it's very important for me to do my best. I don't always get there. I'm not perfect, but I want my partners to be happy. And I'm always trying to think about improving myself, uh, and helping them be happy and making accommodations so that they can, um, have a great time. And it doesn't always include me and that's fine.
1: No jealousy there. Clearly you're just like, if you want to go watch this or go there to a place that I don't necessarily, Just like any other relationship, really like there's no difference. It's just like, You just make it work. Obviously, kids have bedtimes, I imagine, and that sort of thing. When the kids go to bed, then it's just the adult's time to do whatever the adults need to do, right? Whether it's housework, paying bills, studying for work, and that. That's just normal everyday life.
0: Yeah, we got a pretty strict bedtime. I got to say that's one of my big parenting tips. Consistency, plenty of sleep for the kids, and then our privacy time. So, Um, 7.30 on is adult time and the kids got to be in bed by then. And I think that helps out in so many different ways.
1: Yes. Well, I think it just teaches them kids need boundaries. I think we can agree upon that. If you don't set boundaries in that sort of thing, then that can just lead to problems later down the road, behavior issues, whatever the case might be. Well, I think this is great again. And I say this just because it's true. I'm jealous. I think it's great that you have such a fun and such a great family dynamic and that you can make it all work. It sounds like it just, the trains run on time, so to speak, and you're able to help each other out and that you are in a long-term committed relationship with your two partners and everybody works together in parenting. One last question as we wrap up here, when it comes to The normal trimmings that kids get exposed to, technology, television, I don't know, juice boxes, whatever, feeding, eating, how do you guys approach that together as a three-person couple?
0: Well, we really wanted to, you know, do what was best for the kids. And uh, also, like I said, consistency and keeping it simple. So I've never had a fight with our daughter about juice because she doesn't get juice. She doesn't know what it is. It's not on her radar. She likes water and she likes milk and we're done. Um, She doesn't watch television. The only thing that we see on a screen is her preschool when it was shut down for the pandemic, she had her teachers put together some videos where they read books. And so she'll watch um, the teachers read her books when we're doing her hair right before bed. And uh, her egg donor mom, who's super wonderful, was here for two months with us recently. And she saw us doing that and she started making her own YouTube channel. So now we're watching the biological mom read her stories every night. And it's a little ritual for us. Um, We always have a strict limit on how that's going to go. And we make sure that the rules are the same parent to parent, but that's, that's how we handle those things. There aren't any screens except for the um, book reading uh, videos and there, there isn't any juice. So that's how we work. You don't have
1: to worry about it. The things that other people like myself (laughs) might have to, I want to watch this show. I want to watch that show. Well, I think that's fantastic. And again, we will link the notes to the book in our show notes and resources for people to just educate themselves. And I guess uh, work has been okay for you during the pandemic, right? Things have been challenging. How is that? I lied and said that was the last question, but I just want to ask on a personal level for you being a frontline worker, have you been able to get vaccinated? Do you do vaccinations? Like what is that just for you look like personally, Ian.
0: Yeah, we're all lucky because we had essential um, jobs uh, okay. that involved healthcare. And so we're all vaccinated. One of my partners is a doctor as well. The uh, other partner, Jeremy, is a zookeeper. So he's essential personnel for the zoo hospital. And so we're all vaccinated and we feel very lucky about that. I've also felt extremely blessed just to be at a place where the pandemic has been a, a real problem but has certainly not been a system crashing like uh, New York City or Northern Italy or many of the places people don't even appreciate. So there's massive COVID death in uh, some areas of Mexico and Africa. It just doesn't get any attention because there's not testing being done and they don't have the resources to really get the news out. So it's, it's a true tragedy. We've been blessed. Um, I will say that if you uh, have a chance to thank an ICU nurse, an ICU doctor, ER nurse, ER doctor, those are the ones that have really been hammered, especially in certain areas. So go out and give them a hug, but don't do it now. Wait till the pandemic's over.
1: Yes. And wear a mask, please be sensitive and aware to your surroundings. Ian Jenkins, you are the best. Thank you so much for being a part of the show today. I appreciate it.
0: That was a blast. You're very kind.